This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parsh Vayigash, guys, 5780. So here's the the puzzle that we're dealing with. Parak Memhe, Yosef said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, is my father is still alive. So his brothers were not able to answer him because they were shocked. They were embarrassed. They didn't know what to say in front of Yosef. The Rabbeinu Bechayi brings an awesome medrash on this Pasuk. It starts off and Yosef tells his Shvatim, after all the men went out, everybody went out of the room, didn't you tell me that your brother Yosef was dead? Because Yehuda had just said, the Achiv Meis, his brother, Benjamin's brother, is dead. Didn't you say that? I can call him into this room and he'll come to me. That's what Yosef said. All the Shatim were shocked as Yosef called out, Yosef and Yaakov, come in the room. Yosef and Yaakov, come in the room. They began to look in all the directions to see where Yosef was hiding. Shimon and Yehuda were so angry they began to go crazy. They started yelling at Yosef, wanted to kill him. And he called back to them and he said, why are you looking everywhere else? But here, I am Yosef. And Yosef that's what happened over here. There's Machlokis Midrash and what happened after that. According to the Yalkut Shimoni, they were so shocked they couldn't speak. They were shocked into not speaking. The Medrash Tankuma says they were so shocked their Nishamos left their bodies. They died. They had no ability to answer him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu miraculously brought them back to life and allowed them to live again. That they had Tchiyas right in front of everybody. The Medrash Tankuma in Devarim continues this and says, in the future, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Megala himself to us and he reveals himself to be around, now what's going to happen is he's going to do it slowly so as not to shock us. Because if he does shock us and say, I am HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that way that Yosef said, in Yosef, it's going to shock us into death. If Yosef's revelation caused the Shvatim to die in such a manner that we needed a nace to pick themselves back up again, even more so when HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself to us at the end of days, that it's going to be such a shocker that we won't be able to handle it. So for that reason, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to make sure to do it slowly so that we're used to it, we get used to it in some way, shape, or form. Here's the problem. Didn't he already know that Yaakovina was alive? I mean, Yehuda's been saying it the whole time. We don't want to bring Binyamin because of his father. We didn't want to bring the brother in. We had all this stuff they were dealing with up until now. All this time, he must have known that that Yaakov was still alive. So why in the world did he say, what's the question of Odavichai? The Ralbag, the Kliyakar, the Ksavah Kabbalah, and the Maral Diskin says Yosef suspected that the only reason why they were saying this because they they wanted him to have mercy on them and say, think of our father. The father wasn't really there. But they were lying in order to gain Yosef's mercy. Think of our father. He's old and he's frail. He assumed that they hadn't come until now because Yaakov wouldn't let them. And maybe Yaakov just passed away. And therefore, at this point, maybe we could, maybe Yaakov had passed away and that's why they were able to bring Binyamin. He had no idea. And because he wasn't sure, therefore he said, Oh, is my father still alive or not? That's how those Rishonim, the Ralbag, and then the Akron and the Kliok of the Ksava Kabbalah and the Maral can all say it. The Tur and the Paneach Raza says, even though he already asked him about his father and was told that he was alive, he was wondering if he was healthy. Not is he really alive, but is he around? Is he able to move? It's one thing if he's lying in his deathbed, but is he really around? Is he able to come down to Mitzrayim? He wanted to ask that from the beginning, but didn't dare do so because he was worried about what the Shvatim were going to say. Why would you ask about our father? So instead of saying until now, we just want to know, is he good? Are things okay with him? That's what he's asking. That's a Oda Vichai. 
Similarly, the Abarbanel and the Tzedel Adarach said he did not ask if their father was still alive. He knew that he was alive. His question was, what happened to Yaakov Inu's Ruach HaKodesh? It's been 22 years. He never tried sending me any messages. I haven't heard from him. He didn't go searching for me. Where is my father's Ruach HaKodesh? Ha'udavi Chai. Is he still alive in Nevuah? Is he still alive in Ruach HaKodesh? Or has he lost everything? Tiferes Yonason of Yonason Ibsha says his intention here was to say, if Yaakov still had his Ruach HaKodesh, he knows that I retained my Ruach HaKodesh in Mitzrayim. That I'm still the person that I am. So you have nothing to fear. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to do anything wrong. If my father still has his Ruach HaKodesh, he knows that I still have my Ruach HaKodesh. And I would never do anything to you no matter what. Nothing bad would, ha- would happen. And that's why he was asking... Does my father still have his chiyus, his Ruach HaKodesh that he had before his nevuah? The Chsam Sofer in Torah's Moshe says that Yosef turned to the Shvatim and said, it's impossible that my father is still alive. There's no way. This is what the Chsam Sofer says and it's brilliant. I have tremendous power down here. I can do anything I want. That means that I am the tzaddik yesod olam. I'm the reason for everybody to have parnas in this world. After all, even the shvatim are not great enough to get parnasa straight from Shemayim. They have to come to me. And they get their parnasa and their shefa through me. That means that I'm the tzaddik yesod olam. If I'm the tzaddik yesod olam, where's my father? Yaakov Avinu must be dead. Because if Yaakov Avinu was still alive, it would all go through him. And I would get everything through him. Since it's coming through me, something's wrong. So the Ksamsofer says he knew that this can't be. A Talmud does not have real powers until his Rebbe, unfortunately, has passed away. A Talmud can never be the Rebbe until his Rebbe is gone. Until that point, the Talmud could be an awesome Talmud. He could be an awesome Talmud Chacham, but he'll never be the Rav. And that's why Elisha could only ask from Elio and Avi to make himself as great as Elio. He was able to make himself even twice as great. Because on the last day of Elio and Avi's life, he said, make me twice as great. Elio and Avi is gone. That's when Elisha could become a Rebbe. And that's one of the reasons why we paskin. You can't do mora halacha b'tnei rabo. You're not allowed to paskin halacha in front of your Rebbe. Because you can't get that full ziyat to You can't get everything you need to paskin correctly until the Rebbe is gone. When the Rebbe is gone, then the Talmud can come into his own. So said Yosef, where's Yaakov? How in the world is Yaakov still alive if I'm able to get all this down here? The answer to the question is that Yosef was very great, but he was nowhere near the greatness of Yaakov. Yosef overestimated how great he was. He thought that everything was going through him. He thought that he was on the highest level. But Yaakov Vino was able to say to him, Rav od Yosef Benichai. When Yaakov heard about Yosef, he said, Rav od Yosef Benichai. Those who know, remember in Parshas Vayishlach, where Yaakov sent messengers to Esav? What was the wording that Esav used to Yaakov and Yaakov used to back to Esav? Do you guys remember what he said? Right? Yeshli. Rav, Achi, I've got a lot. And what did Yaakovinu say back? Yeshli Kol. Yeshli Kol. The level of Yaakovinu was Kol. The level of Esav, as great as he was, in some way, shape, or form, was the level of Rav. Yosef Atzadik was great, but he wasn't at Kol. He was at Rav. Rav od Yosef Benichai. And even though Yosef saw himself as, I've got everything, the same way that Esav thought that way, he was wrong. He only got to the level of Rav, never to the level of Kol, until Yaakov Avinu passed away. And that's what he was trying to say. The Shekhinah is with him, but the Shekhinah is not fully with him. It's not Kol. It's only Rav. That's the concept that Torah's Moshe says over here. The tour says another answer. This is our fifth answer so far. He wanted to hear directly through them and not through a Melitz. 
a Melitz, who's the person that was between them, Menashe, whatever it is, he wanted to hear directly through them. Or, the Torah says, he wanted to start a conversation with them. He figured this is the safest way to do so. How would it be, Chai? How's dad doing? And that was a conversation he wanted to start with them, so therefore he said it that way. The Sforno says he asked this because he couldn't believe he had, he had been alive and hadn't died from the worry for it. The Moshe's Kingdom says the same. He simply couldn't believe when they told him he was alive. They said, how is he not dead yet? From all the sorrows that we put him through, that you put him through by selling him down at a time, how could that be? And that goes into the next part, the muster that he said, They were so shocked. The muster Yosef gave them was, how is he still alive, says the Sforno? How could he still be alive after what we did? The Chidah says something awesome. Yosef and Yaakov looked exactly alike. Rashi said that a few parshios ago. Eile told us Yaakov Yosef that Yosef Atzadik looked exactly like Yaakov Avinu. Okay, it's in the beginning of Parsh Vayeshev. Why did they not recognize him? How did they not recognize Yosef sitting on the palace? Now, granted, he might have had a mask on him. Granted, he looked like an Egyptian. He might have had makeup on and dressed up. It, it could very well be him. Maybe that's the easy answer is how they didn't recognize him. The easy way out. But really, if he looked like Yaakov, could he have looked that different now that he was down on his Maybe a little more tan, but could he have looked that much different than all the people around him? How could they not recognize him? So could it be that he had, he had really died? Maybe Yaakov had died. They hadn't seen Yaakov's face in a long time. And because they hadn't seen Yaakov's face in a long time, they forgot what he looked like. So when they saw Yosef, they didn't know that he was like Yaakov because they forgot what their father looked like. Maybe that's why. Maybe they didn't recognize Yosef because Yaakov wasn't around. So he said, Ani Yosef, didn't you recognize me? Ha'odavichai? Is my father still alive? If you saw him and then you came straight here, how did you not see me? How did you not see that I look exactly like dad? It's an obvious question, right? So how could it be? So their answer was just that. So they couldn't answer. They were shocked by his face. They looked at Yosef, possibly for the first time. They really looked at him and they said, how did we not notice that? He looks exactly like Dad. How did we not see it? And that's what it means. Says the Chidah, they couldn't believe they had seen the face and not recognized him. You should know, by the way, the Chidah mentions in somewhere else, they did not look at his face, not once, because you're not allowed to look at the face of Russia. So the face of Yosef Atzadik, right, they wouldn't look at. They didn't see him because they thought he was a Russia. So they were looking around. Like, if you're looking at a person, but you're not exactly looking at him, you're looking above him or the side. That's what they were doing. Now they looked at his face. When he said, Ani Yosef, they looked at his face and they were nivhalu mi panav. They were shocked of his face. They were like, oh, we see you. Now we see you. Now we see what you look like. They didn't realize until that's the chidah and how a person could learn it up. Okay, that's one. The Kliyakar says, they also noticed, and they were shocked by this, he didn't say, Ani Yosef Achichem, like he does in the next Pasuk. He says, Ani Yosef, period. Ha'od Avi Chai. Is my father so alive? Not Avinu or Avichem. It's Avi, my dad. And Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, as if he has nothing to do with that anymore. He no longer considered himself a brother. So what's Pshat, says the Kliyakar? He says, yes. I would have wanted you to sell me to a land that wouldn't be filled with tumor. If you're going to sell me somewhere, Mitzrayim was probably the worst place you could have sold me to. I didn't want that. But I now realize it was for the best. I now realize I was able to hold myself back from Ashish Potiphar. I was able to do what I needed to do, do whatever tikkunim needed to happen inside that jail, and eventually become the Roe Yisrael. If I hadn't been there, how would you have food right now? Where would you get food right now in order to feed everybody? That's the idea that he said, had I not been there, what else could I have done? 
the Nitziv says at first he didn't say Achichem or Shermachartimosi because he knew there were Egyptians listening in. So only when he called them close, Gishuna Eli, come to me, he could say to them, Ani Yosef Achichem, I am Yosef, your brother. But while they were still in front of him, right there, he just said, Ani Yosef. That's all he said, because he didn't want anyone else to hear anything. He wanted to make sure that they were over everything, that there was no embarrassment that went through. Because honestly, if I was an Egyptian listening on the other side of the door with one of those cups, you know, the cup against the wall, and I was listening to the conversation, and he said, Ani Yosef Achichem, I'm Yosef, your brother. The first thing I would say is, how did they not recognize him? Why wouldn't they have recognized him? That would be the first question I'd ask. So he didn't want to say that out loud at first. He wanted to say, Ani Yosef, and then eventually tell them, look, I'm Yosef, your brother. That's the idea behind the Nitziv says that as well. The Ksav Sofer says, at first, they were not really brothers. They were not really brothers. So they had done something so evil to him. So he said, Ani Yosef, out of Vichai, after they were embarrassed, and they therefore felt horrible what they had done, he could consider them brothers again. Says the Ksav Sofer, at first, he was only Ani Yosef. When they were embarrassed, and he saw they were embarrassed, and he said, Ani Yosef Achicham, now I consider you my brother. Now, after Nivhalu Mivhanov, now Ani Yosef Achicham. That's what he was able to do. The Chassam Sofer says something amazing, and this, is, this hits me. Chassam Sofer, second, by the way, if you're counting, second Chassam Sofer of today that's the most amazing for it. The Chassam Sofer says, anyone who calls up a person in Evid, if I go up to you, Matthew, if I would say, you are a slave, right? If I would call that to you, right? I immediately deserve Nizifa which is a form of excommunication. I deserve Nizifa. It's a one day, throw him to the ground, like take off your shoes, can't be around anybody, one day Nizifa. It's in Kedushin Dabchav Chesam So I can't call you an Evid. If I sell someone as an Evid, I sell a, a Jew as an Evid to someone else, then for sure you deserve at least Nizifa. You deserve something like that. Yosef wanted to potter them from the Din Shamayim that they had for selling him as a slave. In order to do so, he left them out. If they have Nazifa, it's like they're excommunicated. So you can't consider Yaakov your father if you're excommunicated. So he purposely put them in Nazifa for a moment. He said, Oda Vichai, Ani Yosef, I'm not your brother, I have no shaykhs to you. Oda Vichai, it's my father, not your father. He did it on purpose to give them that punishment. Then once he did it, they immediately were released from the Nizifa, taken out from the Nizifa itself. That's when he said, Now you can come close to me. Put your shoes back on. Act like you're part of Kla Yisrael. Now I'm Yosef, your brother. That's the shot behind it. And that's why he told them there's one thing. You did a kapara for what you did to me. What we had right now, you got myself, you got me a kapara for that. There's another kapara that's necessary though. The other kapara that's necessary is for our father. In order to get a kapara for what you did to our father, here's what you got to do. You got to tell him what you did. Not binyamin. Bigaratem atem la'avi. You have to tell over to my father what you did. And maybe that wasn't fulfilled. Because who in the end told Yaakov that Yosef was still alive and what happened to Mitzrayim? Not Yehuda. The granddaughter. Who? Serach Basasher. So it may not have been said by the Shvatim. And if it wasn't said by the Shvatim, they may never have gotten that full kapara, which may be why the Asaru Gemalchus ended up happening. The Asaru Gemalchus says to Rabbeinu Bechai is because Yosef never forgave them. Now it could be that Yosef forgave them for himself, but he never forgave them for what they did to Yaakovinu. That's the possibility that the Chassam Sofer is trying to say over here. Okay, next. 
The Kliyakar in the Be'er Torah says their shock came from the words of Yosef. Okay, he had said, Ha'oda vichai, and as we said before, he didn't say, Oda vinuchai, Oda vichamchai, he didn't say that. He said, Oda vichai, if it's my father and not your father. Because you sold me down to Mitzrayim, you don't deserve to call him your father. And as we learned from the Sforno before, when he was saying this, and he says, Ani Yosef, Oda vichai, he's like, he couldn't believe Yaakov was still alive after all the pain that he had gone through. Right, he said this. He looked at him and he said, look at Esau. Even Esau didn't put their father through that. Esau didn't kill Yaakov while Yitzchak was still alive. He said, I'll do it after Yitzchak Avinu dies. After Yitzchak Avinu dies, that's when I'm willing to do it. But not when Yitzchak Avinu was still alive. He sent Eliphaz, but he himself would not kill him until after Yitzchak Avinu was dead. Says the, the Kliyakar and everything like that. It showed he said these words on purpose so that he could shock them and say, how dare you? You're not even as good as Esau. That's what he told them. Then it Siv adds, even if I did deserve to be sold, even if you did judge me that I'm supposed to be sold, how did you not take my father's feelings into, into some sort of consideration? You knew, fine, I'm high of Misa, and you were willing to judge me on it, and you were willing to even sell me down on it, so I maybe even kill me by throwing into a pit of snakes and scorpions, sick dogs on me, whatever you were trying to do, you were trying to kill me. How could you not take Yaakov's thoughts into consideration? How could you not take his pain? For 22 years you didn't say anything. How could you have done that? So his line was purposely to knock him down. How in the world could you have done this? And that's what they were so shocked by. That's how the Nitziv understands it. Tam Vidas says Yosef again was mochalem for the pain, but not for the hashkacha that allowed him to be down there. What happened this whole time? That's the idea behind it. But there's more to that Tam Vidas. We'll skip that for right now. And the Beis Halevi says, you're forgetting what's going on in the Parsha around it. It's kind of a cool idea, but it's something to think about over here. Here's what the Beis Levi says. Yehuda had just spoken. Does anybody remember what Yehuda said? Got the beginning of Parshas Vayigash. What's going on in the beginning of Parshas Vayigash? Yehuda approaches Yosef and says, Look, I don't know what's going on here. We came down with peaceful intentions, and now you took Binyamin, and I don't know what to do with myself. He's seriously ticked off at Yosef, and he doesn't know what to do about it. In, according to Rashi, there's two different ways. One is in Pshat, he's being as nice as possible. And the other one is in Drush, he's screaming at Yosef and saying, Kikamocha Keparo, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill Paro, I'm willing to destroy all of Mitzrayim. There's the Midrashic view, which we talked about a couple years ago. There's the Pshat view of what he's trying to do over here, trying to get in something good. Says the Beis Alevi, Yosef is now answering Yehuda. Yehuda, what's your problem? You're looking at me and you're saying, how could you do this to my father? How could you do this to my father by taking Binyamin? Yehuda, how could you do this to your father? The same question you're asking me, says Yosef, is Sofnas Paneach. How could I go back without my, without my baby brother, without Binyamin? How could I get my father so upset? I'm asking it right back to you. Yehuda, what are you going to tell your father? Ha'od Avichai was a direct answer to Yosef's problems. What did you say to him? What did you tell him for the last 22 years? Why didn't you tell him what happened with Yosef? That's the shot. Now all of a sudden you're changing? Now you're thinking about your father? Don't give me that. That's the line that Yosef said back to Yehuda, and it's a crazy line. A crazy line. He looked directly at him and gave a muster right to his face. That's in the base of Levi and Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer both understand this line of Oda Vichai. Now, we're going to a different idea. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says, they didn't answer him. They didn't answer him. Lo yachlu achav achiv lano so so to answer him. They were shocked. Why couldn't they answer him? 
So first, the Rabbeinu Ephraim. Rabbeinu Ephraim is a Rishon, remember, a Baal Tosfos. We're dealing with the 13th century. He said they couldn't answer because they had no information. How do we know he's telling the truth? How do we know that he's really Yosef? So they stopped. They looked at him. They were shocked. But they looked at him and said, prove it. Prove you're Yosef. You say you're Yosef? Prove it. That everything we've been saying up until now, where they were immediately convinced, says the Rabbeinu Ephraim, they weren't immediately convinced. They looked over and they remained silent until they heard a little bit more. Come on, give us a little bit of a proof. And when Yosef gave them the proof that they needed, whatever the bris mila meant, which maybe is a source for another, another shear at some point, right? whatever he gave them, that was enough. And then they were convinced that he was Yosef. But at that point, they were silent. They didn't have, they didn't have anything to say. The Chizkuni and the Rabbeinu Ephraim say, Rabbeinu Ephraim is second shot, say they were worried about what they had done to him. All of a sudden, they sat there, they looked, and they said, oh, man, now he's taking revenge. Now we get it. Now we get what he's doing. Now, we did something to Yosef, he's going to bring it back to us. Now, I'll be honest with you, I cannot understand this shot. And I found this in the Mizrahi and the Gurariye, so I know I was in good company. The Chizkuni and the Rabbeinu Ephraim are Rishonim. You can't argue on Rishonim just by like that. You can't just say, like, oh, they're both wrong. But I would tell you that that's the strangest shot I've ever heard. That they were worried about what Yosef would do to them. Do you know what Yosef did right before he called out Lada and Yosef out of Ichai? He sent out all the soldiers from the room and started crying. And then said, Any Yosef out of Ichai. Does that sound like a person who's going to take revenge? That sound like a person you have to worry about? No. I, I, I mean, granted, what he did before, they could wonder. They could wonder. But if you're crying... And sending out all the bad people from the room, all the soldiers out of the room, so you're just talking to them themselves, wouldn't you immediately think that he wants to make amends in some way, shape, or form? So the fact that the Chizkuni and the Rabbeinu Ephraim say this, I don't get it. And again, for me to ask that question is one thing. The Mizrahi and the Gurariye say that doesn't make any sense to them. That's why Rashi didn't go with it. The Dasikanim says they didn't believe Yosef. Yosef was a slave in Mitzrayim. There's no way he made it up to be the king of Mitzrayim. They couldn't believe it. So they looked at him and said, there's no way this is you. There's no way. That's what they looked at. They couldn't believe it. Haksavah Kabbalah says the difference between Nival and Charada. Charada means to be afraid. But Nival means to be shocked, confused, not sure what to say. Tosefis Bracha is even more so. Bahala is a shock that you didn't expect at all. When it happens, you just can't believe it happened. You couldn't believe it. A Bahala is you sit there, you're like, oh my gosh. Baharada is something that you expected to happen. You were afraid it was going to happen. That, that's what it goes over there. I'm going to give you the example. I told you already that a guy came into my car, right? And took, it's a new car, Baruch Hashem. So there has to be an Ayin Hara on it. That, that's fine. So within that, so a person took the change out of the car and whatever else was inside, the little stuff that was inside the car, right? So fine. That's a behala. I'm shocked by that. I'm shocked. Because that I didn't expect. I didn't expect somebody to go into the car and to violate the inside of the car. That I didn't expect. A charada, you know what my fear is? It's a new car. If I crash it, it's no longer going to look like a new car. That's a charada. I wouldn't be shocked by that. That's a charada. That's a constant fear. But the behala is the shock of something that happened that I didn't expect. That's the difference between them. The shvatim did not see this coming at all. This was not a charada. They're like, uh-oh, maybe this is Yosef. This was such a bahala where when Yosef said any Yosef, they're like, what? No way. It was such a shocker to them. They couldn't think of what they were supposed to do at that point. 
the Chidah asked something that's bothered me for so many years. I can't tell you. I cannot tell you how many years I've had this question and I've never seen an answer to it. I have my own answers, but I've never seen an answer written in the Mephoshim. I haven't even seen the question, but I thought it was a, an obvious question. Yaakov Avinu talks to the Shvatim in last week's Parsha. He refuses to send Binyamin. Does anybody remember what he said when he said, I cannot send Binyamin? What did he say? He said, Ki achiv mace, because his brother is dead. Referring to who? Referring to Yosef Atzadik. And therefore, in this week's Parsha, when Yehuda's talking to Yosef, he says, Va'achiv meis. Binyamin's brother is dead. Why is he saying, originally, when Yehuda came to Yosef, he said, Achiv nenu. His brother's not around. We don't know where he is. We have no idea where Yosef is. But this time he says, Achiv meis. Why did he say Achiv meis? Because Yaakov said Achiv meis. Guys, why did Rachel Menu die? Why did Rachel Menu die? We know she died during childbirth. What does Rashi say the reason is that Rachel Menu died? That what? Because Yaakov said what? Yaakov said whoever stole the truffin, right, should die. So Rachel Imenu died. Why? Because Kishkaga Yotzimi Piyashalit. When a great man says something definitively, then it happens. It happens. Tzadik goes there, but Tzadik says something, Mashem Mekayim, Mashem is Mekayim. Guys, how is Yosef not dead if Yosef said, Achiv Meis? You want to argue that Yehuda wasn't great enough? Okay, I can hear that. Yaakov was great enough that when he said the words, Achiv Meis, his brother is dead, Yosef is dead, Yosef should have dropped dead on the spot. That should have happened. Does everybody hear the question? Everybody hear the question? I have it on the side of my comments. Why? Because the shikin has already gone from him. From Yaakov? Yeah. Okay. Did you, were you going to say that? I was going to say, I, I don't see how it's oh. I, I, I don't see how it's repairable. When Yaakov said it regarding Rachel, he was saying it because when he says that person, whoever stole it should die. Good. With Yosef, he's repeating over what he heard, not as a Yosef. He didn't okay, Yosef. so hold on. Torov Toraf Yosef, when he originally said Torov Toraf Yosef, he didn't say Yosef's dead, he said Yosef was torn up. You could darshan that into Torov Toraf Yosef with Ishes Potiphar and whatever it is, right? So now what you're saying, Mati, is a really good one. That answer is one that I came up with before, and I think it's a really good one. There's a difference between when Yaakov was paskening, whoever stole it shouldn't live, and therefore Rachel Emenu died, versus right now he was saying the Achiv Meis, right? As if to say, it's as if it's there. But here's the problem. If we're going with that line, something that a great tzaddik says automatically, and tzaddik goes to Hashem Akayim, happens even if it's an accident, even if it's not on purpose, even if it was just a, a stomp thing. And that's why tzaddikim have to be so careful of what they say. Because if they say something that's unforward, something that's not the greatest thing in the world, this can happen. So I don't know. That was the answer that I gave, but I don't think it was good enough because I, I think that's part of it. Now your answer, what was your answer again? That he didn't have Ruach HaKodesh. That perhaps Yaakov Avinu didn't have Ruach HaKodesh at the time. If the Torah writes it, then it was written with Ruach HaKodesh. That means when Yaakov said it, and the Torah is saying it that way, the Torah is saying that Yaakov said, it must be at Ruach HaKodesh enough to say something. That he meant something by it. But then why did this happen over here? Bris Kruselus is the other line that happens over here. How could it be over here? So the Chida answers, and think about this answer over here. There is a line that Yaakovinu had, that Yaakov was given by Hashem, that he was promised all of his children would die after him. None of his children would die in his lifetime. That was a promise given to him. Now you have a problem. He thought that it wasn't fulfilled. He thought his children were dead, but they weren't. When he said, now you got a problem. 
you have the concept of Shkaga Yotzimi Pia Shalit, which is a mistake which usually would, kill, would have killed Yaakov, going up against a line of Yaakov Vinu cannot have any of his kids die in his lifetime. Which one is stronger? The promise of Hashem was stronger than the Shkaga Yotzimi Pia Shalit. So even though Yosef should have died, the strong line, the promise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that nobody will die during your lifetime would not allow the Shkaga to happen. Would not allow that Shkaga to happen. That's an amazing Chidah. He then goes on for quite a while trying to explain what had happened after that. If anybody knows, you know how David Melech has his 70 years? What do we say his 70 years comes from? From Adam Arishan, right? Did you know there's another Cheshben that they give? You know what the other Cheshben is? There's another Cheshben. One is David Melech. How many years was Adam missing, guys? 70 years, right? So therefore we'd say, oh, Adam gave it to David. There's another pshat. How many years did Yaakovina live? 147. How many years was he supposed to live? 180. What's 180 minus 147? 33 altogether. Okay, 33. 147 minus 110. Yosef lived to 110. He should have lived like his father. 147. 147 minus 10? Minus 110, I should say. 37, right? 37 plus 33 is what? There you go. And that's the 70 years of Dovin Amalekh. Where did Dovin Amalekh get it from? From Yosef and Yaakov. The Chidah goes on into how in the world could Yaakov have thought that Yosef was dead if he knew their years were being given over to David Amalekh. That's another story for another time. That's not for right now. Okay, we've got like six minutes left. I'm literally going to run through this. Are you ready? Really? Run through it? Rosh says they were shocked out of embarrassment. They knew they had done something wrong, but they no longer, they now, they, they saw how Ashkach had put them in this place, and they realized it was for the right reasons. The dreams were fulfilled. Yosef Atari was correct. He did rule over them. That's why he was shocked. He could not believe that such a thing had happened. Ramosha finds, he says, Busha, embarrassment is the meter that keeps us from sinning. When we're embarrassed, we cannot sin. The Shvatim were mocked, not to be embarrassed about what they did to Yosef, thinking it was the right thing to do. So they refused to be embarrassed. What they now realized, they were wrong. They wondered what else they should have done that they should have been embarrassed about. What they were embarrassed about is not that they sold Yosef. They knew they shouldn't be embarrassed about selling Yosef. They passed in that walk and they did it. What they thought was, oh my gosh, maybe we did something else wrong. When Yosef assured them, Ani Yosef Achichim, had nothing against them, they knew there was nothing else to be embarrassed about. That was it. That was one thing they did, and that's that. That's how Ramosha understands it. Chazal tells in British Rabbah, Tzadi Beis, Tzadi Gimel Yud Aleph, they say, there's a limit for Yom Adin. It's a schut, it's an idea that happens at Yom Adin. Woe to us from such a day, says the Majesty. Woe to us. Yosef said to his brothers who he was, and they were so embarrassed they couldn't speak. Imagine what's going to happen when Akarish Baruch Hu comes to us at the end of days and tells us, I am Akarish Baruch what's wrong with you? What do you think is going to happen then? We're going to be so embarrassed we won't be able to say anything back. That's also brought in Chagiga Dabdalid. Rabbi Elazar cried when he got to this puzzle. He cried. He sat there and he cried. What in the world is going to be with me? On Yom Adin, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, the great Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, who at the age of 18 looked like an old man because he was such a tzaddik, cried. What's going to be with me? Miyam says, HaKadosh Baruch is going to greet us at the end of our lives and he's going to ask us the simplest of questions. How do you not have a daily time to learn Torah? How did you not walk four hours? How did you walk four hours without putting on tzitzis? How in the world would you not daven with a minion? How in the world did you speak in shul during davening or during Kriya Satora? How can you make promises and swear in a Kaddish Baruch Hu's name about things that you know weren't true? What were you thinking when you spoke Lashonahar about others? Are you sure that all the money that you've used has been gained honestly in the best possible way? Those questions are going to be asked. And that's just the beginning. All of those questions are going to be asked. And what are we going to say back? What's our answer back? We're going to be so shocked we won't be able to say anything. And a Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't need our answer. 
Kaddish Baruch knows exactly what the answer is because he can obviously knows what we're thinking. That concept says in Yom Loez, it's what's learned out from this parsha. If the Shvatim, the Shivtei Ka, who still get Yud Hey in their name, if they were embarrassed, imagine how embarrassed we're going to be. The Malei Aroim says this is exactly what the Shvatim were thinking, which is why it says Nifal and instead of Vayivahelu. It's they realized they couldn't answer Yosef. So what would be when HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked them about their deeds when it comes to them and Yosef? They were so worried about that. Even more so would they be afraid and shocked when they gave a, gave a cheshben back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They couldn't talk to Yosef. The Shvatim were thinking it. If we can't talk back to Yosef, how are we supposed to talk back to Hashem? And that's really the line over here. It's really about them. The Greek says it was a timing issue. It's too late to be metakin anything. There's no way that we could do anything over here. Now that Yosef has already revealed himself to us, we can't go after him and try to bring him back and try to forget us forgiven. It's too late for that. Rabbi Yasha says, there's din, and then there's tokacha. Din is a din, halacha, something that's out there. A person could do something that's not only halacha permissible, but seems to be, it's even better than the halacha. And it's still considered ayin ra. For example, how much do you have to give for truma? Anybody know how much you have to give? Meteoraisa, a tiny seed. For truma off your field. Give a tiny seed for truma, and that's good enough. Poteris is koakri. It potters everything. But the Gemara says you have to give a 40th, a 50th, or a 60th. If you give a 40th, you're ayin yafa. If you give a 50th, ayin bainanis. If you give a 60th, ayin raw. That's an evil eye. You're stingy for giving a 60th. But meteorite how much do I need to give? A tiny seed. And if I give a 60th of my grain, which is way more than a single seed, I'm considered ayin raw. Says Rabbi Yashif, there's din, there's din, and then there's tokaka. You should have known to do more. Kayin brought a korban to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But it wasn't so good. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, forget it. Forget it, it's not good enough. There's Din, and then there's Tokacha. Kayin's face fell, because he said, I don't understand. I did what was right. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, that was Din. Now I'm giving you Tokacha. I'm giving you Tokacha. You got to do better than that. You got to do a little bit more than just that. Says Rebel Yashem, the ultimate Yom Adin, the ultimate Yom Adin is not about the Din. That's what this Pasuk is telling us. The ultimate Yom Adin is about the Tokacha. I grant it, grant it, says the Kaddish Baruch you did a lot of great things. I'm not arguing. Minah Din, you did everything good. But Tokacha wise, you could have done a lot more. Tokacha wise, you probably could have been even better than that. And that's how you can understand Yuma, Daflamet Heyama Beis. A person goes up to a Kaddish Baruch and a Kaddish Baruch says, Why didn't you learn Torah? And he says, I was too poor, I was too rich. Or he says, I had too big of a Yetzirah. What kind of an excuse is that? What kind of a fool are you? You go up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I was too rich, there was nothing I could do. What kind of a fool says that to God? What kind of a fool goes up to Hashem, Hashem says, why didn't you learn Torah? God, this good looking of a face, you want me to learn Torah? I had stuff to do. What did you want me to do? What kind of a fool says that? It's not a fool. It's a guy who says, Minadin, I did learn. I learned what I was supposed to learn. Minadin, I did what I was supposed to do. The other stuff, I, you know, I wanted time for myself. I wanted to chill a little bit. That's where our Kodesh Baruch comes in and says, no, 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 no. Yosef Atzadik, Yosef Atzadik wanted to chill. <laughs> Look at what happened. Hillel Atzadik, Hillel Hag, I, I don't know what you were calling it. It's not Hillel Atzadik, Hillel Hag, Gon. Look what happened. Rebbe Yosef Ben-Kharsom. That's what the Gemara is trying to say. It's an awesome, awesome piece. Either way, Rev Schwab says an idea over here as well. I'm going to skip that. Oh, there's so much. The Chassam Sofer, the Yom Tov Chacha, and the Yom Adin, he goes into that. I, I, Rev Wolfson says in Imunasi Tech on page 162, that Tzvi Latzadik was sitting in a room when he heard someone say, as a joke, as a joke, a guy called out and said, oh, Mashiach is here. You know, like, so he was talking, like a guy walked in, he's like, wow, if, if y'all came to share today, Mashiach must be here today, you know, that must be that. And he heard that, the Tzvi Latzadik, 
his face went white. His face turned white. He's a great tzaddik, great, great chassid. Later, when he heard that it was a joke, someone asked him what he was worried about. He said, I wasn't ready to see Mashiach. I wasn't ready to see him. Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah cried. Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah, Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah cried. What in the world? And we're sitting there like, yeah, we'll be fine. I'm, sure, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to walk in and just be like, Kodesh Baruch I got this. Well, what are you going to do? It's so scary. It's mamish scary to think about. The Chavetz Chaim says he remembers when he was younger in Vilma. Rav Shol Katzen Allenbogen. Yeah, for those who know in Harnof, my daughter, I think, watches every week. She's in somewhere near Katzen Allenbogen. I forgot what the street is. But Katzen Allenbogen and the Magad of, the, of his city, Revival, were walking together in the middle of the main street. Okay, in the middle of the main street. They were discussing the din in the future. They are discussing din, what's going to be lost at Lavo. They said it makes sense to them that the judges above would be people from your own generation, not from past generations. Because people in past generations don't understand what we're going through. Ramosha Feinstein is a gain olam, but does he understand the world of cell phones? Does he understand that? Can you have somebody from a previous generation judge? So he said it makes sense, right, that you would only judge according to the judges that you have during your time, and that's that. As they were speaking, a man came up to them and said, Kovid Rabbeinu, I overheard you speaking, and I have to say something. I have no doubt that when I go to Shemayim, you too would be my judges, La'asad Lavo, Savakasha. Why don't I confess my sins to you right now? I'll confess my sins to you right now. I'll go up to you, I'll tell you everything right now. You'll tell me the penance that I need for it, how to do tshuva for it, and I'll get it done in this world rather than have it in the next world. Brilliant, right? Why don't I do it right over here? Then I don't have to worry about anything whatsoever. <laughs> Get the ka- kasha? It, it's amazing. It's really a great call. Why wouldn't you go ahead and do that? Rav Shol, Katzen Allenbogen, thought it was a great idea. He said, done. Okay, we can do that right now. We'll judge you right now. The maggot said, let me give you a marshal. I was a child in Cheder. And when the Rebbe was in the room, we wouldn't move. Rebbe was in the room, we couldn't do anything else. Rebbe was in the room, we sat down, we had our hands, we were so scared, we wouldn't do anything in front of our Rebbe. Right? But then the Rebbe left the room. We said we were going to play a game. Cops and robbers. A couple guys are cops, a couple guys are robbers, right? And then afterward, the cops caught the robbers and we brought them in to be judged and we we're about to punish them. We we're going to punish them by whipping them. As right where we were about to rip with the robbers, the Rebbe walked into the room. And what did the Rebbe walk in and see? He saw a bunch of kids playing cops and robbers. And we stopped and we realized, oh, what are we doing? We could judge you right now, but this judgment will be nothing in comparison to what a Kaddish Baruch Hu is going to tell us to do in the future. It's going to be nothing. It's going to be like a bunch of kids playing cops and robbers. We don't understand anything. We don't understand why things happen. We can't judge you in this world what's going to be in the next world. So even if we are your Dayanam Lost Lavo, we're not going to judge you the same way. There's no way we could do it down over here. We'll stop with this, guys. The last thing I wanted to tell you is, I'm not going to do it right now, is the Ksav Sofer and that Deris Eliyahu. Maybe that'll be for next time, for another time. Have a great Shabbos, everybody. Marv is now.